Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So if you have members in your conference that won't let you vote for appropriation bills, doesn't want an omnibus, and won't vote for a stopgap measure, so the only answer is to shut down and not pay our troops? I don't want to be a part of that team. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an on-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, uh, Taylor Swift at a jet game. No, I'm kidding. We're not starting with that. The government shutdown, Nick. The biggest story out of D.C., a crisis averted. How this deal came to be, what it means for folks now that the government will be funded at least until November 17th. We're going to react from a bunch of different clips over the weekend of how this all played out. Plus, later on the program, former deputy assistant attorney general for the Department of Justice, CNN legal analyst and a principal over at the Rabin Group, our buddy Elliot Williams hops on. He's going to break down everything with the Senator Menendez charges, the latest in the Hunter Biden indictments, the latest with the Trump indictments across the different jurisdictions. Elliot does a great job with all that. He's coming up in our next segment. Uh, Before I say hello. To Mr. Severi, an all-new episode of Back Your Play with Q is out there now. Q breaks down the latest in week four, not only in the NFL, but in college football. Our Scarlet Knights won, Nick, there. I think it's week five in college football. But Rich breaks it all down with the best insiders in the game. You can head to LeonMediaNetwork.com and click on the Back Your Play with Q tab, or you can listen to Back Your Play with Q available wherever you get your podcast. Um, A fun weekend in college football for us. Not a fun weekend for us in the NFL. Now, I say hello to my buddy, my partner in crime. He's shaking his head because we're not going to get into the Raiders stuff. Everyone knows that we're Raiders fans and the Raiders stink. We're not going to get into that. How are you doing otherwise? Because I don't want to bring down my mood 
So how are you doing otherwise? Yeah, listen, I'm 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 doing good. And sadly, I'm having to cheer for the Chiefs to, you know, wrap this up today. So I, you know, finish my uh, my bets this week and come out on top. But no, the, the Raiders are what they are. Um, yeah, huge win. I sadly took Wagner with the points. It was 46. I figured, you know, I mean, Rutgers is good, but, you know, plus 46 points better. Final score was what, 52-3? Yes. They, co- they covered I it love. then some. I love that you um, lost. I love that you I, lost. That is so funny. Was, yeah, I well, between that and then, you know, USC being a, unable to, you know, keep Colorado at bay, um, I was happy. I was happy for the Scarlet Knights. You know, we've got Wisconsin coming up. Um, just a good stretch. So it, it was a, it's been a fun weekend. My um, yeah, which the weather keeps going back and forth. It was warm today, a little cooler yesterday. So we're yeah, we're settling into football season, all the good stuff. But yeah, now I'm back on the road this week. I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling, visiting visiting a right. client out in uh, Memphis. So get a chance to get some good barbecue again. It's it's funny, you know, for anyone here who's ever on the Northeast ever tries to, you think you go to a good barbecue spot, you think you've got it, good ribs, pulled pork, all that stuff. Trash, trash. I hate to say it's trash. Get down to the south get to some you know random hole in the wall place where they all they have is some smoker from like 1847 and it's going to be the best food you're ever going to have if that's the kind of food you like and and i do so uh, i found a great rib joint the last time i was in memphis i'm looking forward to another one uh, and spend some time with some awesome people how about you I'm good. By the way, if that rib joint wants to be a sponsor, uh, we are available right now. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because I love this barbecue spot that's in New York City. And then I went a little south of the border from New York and I tried something and it was way better than what I had at that famous New York chain that will not be mentioned unless they want to be a participating sponsor over here on the show. I'm good, man. Um, you know, everything's for for people that haven't noticed. I did an, another hit recently with our buddy Rick Sanchez over on his show, Direct Impact talking about affirmative action and and uh, Supreme Court's ruling a few months back and how it's really affected certain things playing out now as colleges have started back up and admissions and stuff like that. So some great stuff that you can check out over there on leonmedianetwork.com and check out that interview. Or if you follow us on social media, follow us at Can We Please Talk Podcast at Gmail, excuse me, on Instagram. Uh, you can email us at Can We Please Talk Podcast at Gmail.com if you got any questions, concerns, You uh, anything you want to get off your mind? And Nick and I have done that before. We've read listener questions or uh, anything that they got, they want to get off their chest. And if you want to get something off your chest right now about this government shutdown as we pivot into our first segment, because this was wild as how everything played out over this weekend for people that don't know what happened. September 30th, the government was going to run out of money. Speaker McCarthy last week had been mentioning about he's got tons of time at least, or at least was trying to round up some votes to figure out how to pass a CR, which was a continuing resolution that would at least fund the government temporarily over the next you know, 45 days and take them to another period in mid-November, where we're going to be back here all over again, unless they can fund the government. Um, let's take a listen first to Speaker McCarthy as all of this played out, because what ended up happening on Saturday, a bill passed in the House overwhelmingly for 335 votes to 91, 209 Democrats joined 126 Republicans, Nick, we're going to get to that in a sec, to support this stopgap spending bill that will obviously fund the government for 45 days, and it's going to allocate at least $16 billion for disaster relief aid. And then it went to the Senate and it passed overwhelmingly 88 to 9. Take a listen to Speaker McCarthy. He was on the Sunday shows and he obviously gave a press conference in late in the afternoon, I believe it was on Saturday, talking about all of this. And 
kind of, I want you to listen to some of the things that he says about members of his own caucus. Take a listen. It is very clear that I tried every possible way listening to every single person in the conference. When we went to vote on appropriate bills you didn't think we could pass, we passed them. It was tough, but we got it through. We made sure we came down the last hour. Would I have wanted the bill we put on the floor yesterday that would secure our border, cut wasteful spending? Yes, I did. But I had some members in our own conference that wouldn't vote for that. So if you have members in your conference that won't let you vote for appropriation bills, doesn't want an omnibus, and won't vote for a stopgap measure, so the only answer is to shut down and not pay our troops? I don't want to be a part of that team. We're going to get to that in just a sec, Nick. I would love to hear your takes. I don't want to be a part of that team. Uh, I don't know if that was a Freudian slip or not. This package that got funded until, again, it funds the government until November 17th. Like I mentioned, it drops aid uh, to Ukraine and, and the money that we were giving into Ukraine. Um, we're going to get into that in a second because President Biden commented on that. But if this agreement had not been in place before Sunday, obviously, which was October 1st, federal workers would have faced furloughs, more than 2 million active duty and reserve military troops would have had to work without pay and programs and services that Americans rely on from coast to coast would have begun to face shutdown disruptions. I wanted to shout out real quick, Nick, before I get your takes and we listen to sound from President Biden. Um, government, uh, excuse me, Representative Jared Moskowitz. He represents Florida's 23rd district, just a little north of where I live down here in Miami. He's kind of like the, the Boca, Fort Lauderdale area. They had sent out an, an email Friday night, late into Friday night, which I thought was great. And shout out to other members of Congress, either on the Democratic or Republican side of the aisle. If you did this, if people that are, you know, in the uh, email marketing uh, campaigns for these folks, it said, what does this shutdown mean for you? If you need immediate assistance, if this ends up happening, here's what will happen if, if the government is not funded. Military and law enforcement personnel could work without pay, like I mentioned. Kids of these federal employees would lose access to Head Start. So you would have these critical, you know, early childhood development programs that government, you know, uh, workers would lose access to. Travelers would face significant waits because again, working without pay. So now TSA is at the airport. We've all, Nick has just mentioned he's about to travel. Nick would have been waiting a little bit longer or had to get to the airport a lot earlier if he doesn't have pre-check. And even with pre-check, you may have gone through some challenges. Um, small businesses would would have not been able to get new loans because the the SBA would have not been able to accept, review, or approve any new business loans during a shutdown. There was long-term disaster relief, like I mentioned, that would have been delayed, but thanks to this bill and uh, the CR for the next 45 days being signed in, President Biden's desk, uh, and that got pushed through, um, we would have lost that long-term disaster relief uh, funding and the and FEMA uh, staff would have not been able to respond to some of these emergencies. God forbid if something would have happened over the next couple of days as the government was shut down and medical research would have been delayed because NIH is funded through the government, would have delayed new clinical trials. People have a certain association with NIH right now. Uh, and understandably, I mean, there's some of that. You've all watched some of the um, different committees that have taken uh, Dr. Fauci to task about certain things. However you feel about that, that's not the part for this. But what would have happened was the National Institute of Health would have been forced to delay some of their stuff if we had not funded the government and signed this continuing resolution. I did mention, Nick, before I get your takes on this, that the president and in that CR, there was no funding for Ukraine, like we mentioned, uh, which is such a contention point 
for Speaker McCarthy. And obviously he wants to continue to fund Ukraine, but only at certain levels, President Biden and Democrats feel a different way about that. And the president said so in his press conference that he gave as he was signing the CR. Take a listen to what the president said about the Ukraine funding not being a part of this bill and what he hopes will happen over these next 45 days as they try to come to a long-term solution. Take a listen. There's no Ukraine funding in this agreement. Despite that, I did not believe we could let millions of Americans go through the pain of a government shutdown. But let's be clear. I hope my friends on the other side keep their word about support for Ukraine. They said they're going to support Ukraine in a separate vote. We cannot, under any circumstance, allow American support for Ukraine to be interrupted. I fully expect the Speaker to keep his commitment to secure the passage and support needed to help Ukraine as they defend themselves against aggression and brutality. And folks, you know, overwhelmingly, there's overwhelming number of Republicans and Democrats in both the House and the Senate who support Ukraine. Let's vote on it. And I want to assure our American allies and the American people and the people of Ukraine that you can count on our support. We will not walk away. We will not walk away. Strong words there by the president of the United States, uh, President Biden. Nick, what do you make of everything that kind of unfolded over this week? And I don't know how much you were kind of paying attention to this. This was dominating the cycles again, as you and I do commentary about what is playing out in our nation's capital. And we know so many different reporters that work on the Hill. All of them were posting different things on social media. Jimena Bustillo, shout out to her over at NPR who's a politics reporter, and she was covering a lot of this. Nolan McCaskill, a congressional reporter for The Messenger, another friend of ours, was posting tweets about where we are in the latest with this. You, you, you've all, people that listen to this show would know, we're pretty uh, entrenched with some of these reporters and getting either text messages or DMs back about what's happening in addition to what they're posting on social media. But this was playing out over the weekend on a Saturday where a lot of people may not have been paying attention to this, you know, uh, my mother-in-law is, is a government employee, so I was kind of a paying attention to this. What do you make of it all and kind of where we netted out there and in the comments from Speaker McCarthy and President Biden? Yeah, it's, you know, America won. I, I, I think that's the important detail. You know, there was a comment from, you know, there was a comment from the speaker. Um, you know, this was quoted from NBC News, but you know, there's no, he quoted it saying, there's no bill that can pass with one party or the other. It's okay if Republicans and Democrats join together to do what's right. You know, there's times, though rare, that I, I'm sympathetic toward the speaker. The comment he made about, well, that's not a group I want to be a part of, is an interesting one because it, you know, there are many times, the Hunter Biden situation being a good example and the impeachment proceedings, you know, against the president, where it does seem like there is a team that he's looking to play ball with. You know, it's the House Freedom Caucus. You know, it's the it's the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts and folks like that, that he seems to want to ingratiate himself with. But then he moves forward and gets something like this done. And I just give him credit. I mean, he had to rally. He had to help pull this together. And and in the end, you know, the government doesn't get shut down. Um, we said this before a couple of months back about, you know, how many times are we going to go through this? So great. We've 45 days. <laughs> that's that's what we got here um you know november 17th this is the is the expiration date on this day before my birthday right so you know how many times do we keep kicking this down the curb um you know as far as the the ukraine spending goes 
And where I always land on this is a question of if you say yes to yes to Ukraine, what are you saying no to? And that seemed to be something that both sides of the aisle have opinions about. So I'm always curious about this. You know, you say yes to this spending. Well, who's getting shorted on this? Um, you know, and I think to to the president's point about the continued support, and I I'm not wavering, but folks who've been listening to this show, and thank you for doing so, probably have noticed that I'm not necessarily as adamant about support the support for Ukraine as maybe as I was when this war began, because there is a certain level of fatigue. There's a certain level of wondering I have of, well, how much longer are we going to continue to do this? You know, we currently spend the most money now by percentage of GDP. I went through this data with you all not too long ago, you all listeners, right? So, you know, against our, our, against our GDP, we're not spending the highest percentage. However, it's still a sizable amount of money. And as a person who, you know, focuses on education for the sake of another pod, you know, my profession, you know, there's always wonderings about if we're saying yes to Ukraine, are we saying no to America's kids? Are we saying no to American labor? I don't know, but I'm willing to have the conversation about it, truthfully. And that's where I sort of land in the middle between where Republicans and Democrats are. But in the end, I'm, I'm just glad it got passed because for the reason you gave, Mike, you know, when you know, when we're telling federal employees that um, because members of Congress can't agree on something, that people are going to lose paychecks. Um, it's a painful thing to say. You know, congressional, I, I know there was a comment recently, I think, of um, the speaker offering to, you know, not collect his salary or something like that. And there was a spokesperson of the White House that had said that, well, it's impossible. Like, according to the Constitution, members of Congress will continue to take on a salary. So that's theater. But there are people, very real people, who, when the government shuts down, do not get paid. And those are the folks that we should worry about. And and at the end of the day, regardless of where we are with our politics, I think it's important to remember that there are plenty of people that, when something like this happens, we're talking about people who can't pay their bills on time. We're talking about people who suddenly worry about, you know, the next time they go grocery shopping. And for those people especially, I'm glad it didn't, I'm glad America won in politics didn't which is rare to say these days. Yeah. Well said there on that last part. And and by the way, we're going to get into the theater of this in a second. I want to get your takes on that. But the the clip that you're referencing, it's funny because I had it queued up and I was going to play it. And it was from, I forget which White House press secretary. It wasn't KJP. It was somebody else. And she had mentioned about the constitutionality of, of you know the speaker not taking his paycheck. And she goes, you know who's not going to get paid? The person who picks up my trash tonight. That's who's not going to get paid. Like, so what are we going to do about that person? So I, it's funny that you mentioned that clip because I just had that clip on my mind. Let me get into another clip, if I can say clip uh, five times fast. In Speaker McCarthy and Matt Gates, somebody from uh, his side of the aisle that has been going around on the Sunday shows uh, and he has been livid about uh, Speaker McCarthy making a deal with House Democrats to be able to pull this off and get this CR funded away. And you may, you heard what uh, Speaker McCarthy said there about some of the stuff not going to the fight against what's happening at our U.S. southern border. We're going to get into that in just a bit with Elliot uh, in our next segment. But one of the things that Matt Gates mentioned is potentially this week, again, as of this taping, he may introduce something to remove Kevin McCarthy from Speaker of the House. He got asked it on CNN State of the Union by our buddy Jake Tapper, Take a listen to his response and then 
Speaker McCarthy was on with our buddy Mike Emanuel on Fox News, and he responded to that. So take a listen. You have been threatening to topple McCarthy, issue a motion to vacate uh, the speakership uh, if he worked with Democrats to fund the government with a clean CR, a clean government spending bill, which is exactly what he did uh, on, on Friday uh, and Saturday. The House gavels back in tomorrow at noon. Are you going to make a motion to vacate? Speaker McCarthy made an agreement with House conservatives in January, and since then he has been in brazen, repeated material breach of that agreement. Uh, this agreement that he made with Democrats uh, to really blow past a lot of the spending guardrails we'd set up is a last straw. And then overnight I learned that Kevin McCarthy had a secret deal with Democrats on Ukraine. So as he was baiting Republicans to vote for a continuing resolution without Ukraine money, saying that we were going to jam the Senate on Ukraine, he then turns around and makes a secret deal. Now, I know you and I probably have different views on U.S. involvement in Ukraine, but however you think about that question, it should be subject to open review analysis and not some backroom deal. Gates evidently blames you because he's under investigation with the House Ethics Committee. Is that what this is all about? Look. That, that complaint happened in the last Congress still there. I can't get involved in any of that. If that's what he plans. Matt's probably planned this from the day I ran for speaker, if you watched. He never voted for it. And, and the difficulty is Matt was the individual who voted against our most conservative bill that would have secured the border. Mm -hmm. You know, look, I want to secure the border. He wants to secure interviews. That's okay. Let him do that. But the only way he can be successful is if Democrats go along with him. I think this job and this country and this Congress is too important. Let's finish the work we have to do. Let's focus on the task before us and let's keep going. I thought that line was so funny. He, he wants, I want to focus on, he wants to focus on interviews. I forget how he said it. I just literally played it and I forget how he said it. As he's doing an interview on television, I thought that was really funny. Um, Nick, what do you make of this, not only the back and forth, uh, as if we're having a rap battle, and we allude, by the way, to a rap battle in our final segment on Tupac. Um, what do you make of this back and forth between Speaker McCarthy, Matt Gates? He's, he's right there. We covered this on the show about the 15 times it took for him to be voted Speaker and the huge exchange between him and Gates on the House floor, a shouting match that happened between the two of them. We knew that this was going to come. This was going to happen eventually. Kevin McCarthy was walking on thin ice with these folks. And now that he was able to get House Democrats to vote for this CR, it looks like a slap in the face to this Freedom Caucus folks that have been holding Kevin's uh, feet to this fire uh, since the day he took over the speakership. What do you make of it all? What do you make of the back and forth? What do you make of Jake Tapper and Mike Emanuel, two guys who have been on the show, securing major interviews and, and kind of liaisoning this, uh, this back and forth between the guys? Yeah, I, you know, there's a balance of this is all this is all silly and petty to this is a damning situation for what the Republicans in the House stand for. Yeah, I mean, from Jump Street, you know, when the speaker when the speaker was named, this always just hung over his head that it would just take one vote to you know, pursue it, you know, him being the, the, the seat being vacated. Um so we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out. But this just feels petty. It, you know, that comment. Of, well, you know, he's too busy doing interviews. It felt a little like the, uh, you know, they're they're winning for clicks. You know, Oregon or what the Oregon coach said about Colorado recently. Um, yeah, the ball is in Matt Gates's court. You know, it's. I mean, we come Monday morning. Are are we going to see this? Because his answer his answer was a little dodgy there. You know, given the history of, um, 
of McCarthy's relationship with the Democrats and he cut a secret deal about Ukraine and all this nonsense. Well, it's I mean, the, now the money's on the table. Like if you're if you're if you're about that vacating life, then then put up or shut up now. Um, but this has always felt like theater, you know, and especially with these two recently. Uh, I know that there's talk. There was been some discussion about, you know, if Gates's name comes up or is found guilty from some of these recent hearings coming up or some congressional inquiry on some matters that he may lose some of his committee assignments. So this seems to be a like, well, if you go after me, I'll go after you type of thing. But again, I said a moment ago that when you get an agreement, you know, to keep the government in play or keep government funding in place, America wins. On this one, America loses. You got a Speaker of the House trying to retain their seat. You have a rabid wing of that person's own party that think for a minute about what Gates said. Well, he did a deal with Democrats. Now, think about what McCarthy said earlier. You can't get anything passed without Democrats. And he's right. The Republican, the Republican majority in Congress, in the House, is by a slim margin. It's like 218 to 213. It's not, it's not much. You're going to need all 218 Republicans to agree on something. Does this, does this current House GOP strike you, Mike, as someone, as a body that can get 218 people to agree on anything? No, no, not I'm really. So you're going to have to work with the other people in the aisle. And that's how Congress is supposed to work. That's how America works. Like, yes, there are people you don't necessarily agree with, but in the real important stuff, you have to come to the table with a conversation. And that's what the speaker has been doing. And I think for Gates to make this sound like a bad thing about working with Democrats, I would question his ability to be a member of Congress. Because if this is what you think your job is, is to just go after the other political persuasion, then what is your actual legislative agenda? Like, do you rep represent your district or you just represent the talking points of the far right to to just go after the other party um, because you don't agree with them on matters of, I don't know, <laughs> on transgender people or whatever. So it's it's silly. And I don't I it just I think America loses on this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows what Matt Gates stands for? I would love to talk to somebody in his district. I actually don't know what part of Florida his district is. Um We'll see what plays out with um, this week if a vote is put up or a motion is put up to vacate the speakership, like Matt Gates said in that clip there, because reporters have been trying to find out, is he going to do this come, you know, when uh, Monday, the first thing Monday morning? Obviously, when you listen to this episode, the day probably has already passed, but um, we'll see how that plays out. We'll be covering that. Uh, when we come back after the break, our buddy Elliot Williams, CNN legal analyst, uh, former official at the Department of Justice. This guy worked for ICE, the Immigration and Custom Enfor Enforcement Agency. So much to get to with Elliot, Bob Menendez, the charges there, the latest in the Trump indictments, the Hunter Biden stuff. Elliot, when we come back after the break. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Better Sleep, a personalized sleep experience for more restful nights and wakeful days. Nick, how's your sleeping habits, buddy? I know you got two kids. You wake up early. You go to sleep late, probably. Take me through. Are you are you sleeping better? Do you need help getting to sleep? What's 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 your big uh, issue and hang up here as you're trying to fall asleep at night? My quality sleep. I, I tend to, I tend to go to sleep late. You know, I, I love to read, and but inevitably I do have to get up early. So I'm averaging probably maybe like five hours of what I would consider like quality sleep. So yeah, I'm. I was excited you mentioned this partnership because. You know, one of the things about Better Sleep that's awesome is the fact that the entire sleep experience is what they focus on. Everything from sounds to help you sleep, you know, better understanding your sleep patterns. And Mike, that's that's really the breakdown that they offer. Super easy app to use. Um, I can't brag enough about it. I'm starting to use it myself just to really just better understand how I sleep and how I can improve that. Because it's we take it for granted, but almost any athlete will tell you, any professional will tell you our understanding of sleep is coming to the forefront of what really helps to improve performance. So I'm, I'm all for it. No, you're right. Anybody will tell you, you need your eight hours at least. Improve your well-being in just one week. If you go to the link right now in our show notes, it's going to take you over to Better Sleep and you can take the quiz. They have a take the quiz button that's available right there as soon as you come into the app. So that way it can adjust the sounds and everything you need to get a better quality sleep. Click the link in our show notes right now and head to bettersleep.com for a restful night's sleep. This episode is presented by our friends, our good friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. The coffee that's keeping me awake when Nick Savary's putting me to sleep with one of his trains of thought. Are you, you give me a look here, Nick. Uh, give me a little bit of how fresh roasted coffee keeps you awake when I'm boring you with some of my trains of thought. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Interesting introduction. Folks, I'm a huge fan, as you all know, of fresh roasted coffee, primarily for the simple fact about diversity. If you're a tea person, they've got you covered. If you're a coffee person, they got you covered too. Mike and I take our coffee very differently. Mike is a Keurig man. That is efficient. That is tasty. That's the way to go. I am a French press person. Nowadays, I actually grind my own beans. So when I get my batch of fresh roasted coffee, it goes right into the grinder, then to the French press, boiled water, let's go. But in either case, our cup of coffee comes out delicious, mostly because they ask you at the jump, what's just tell us about you. Simple quiz. They'll direct you to the bean or brand that you you should be getting in touch with. And that's the way to go. And then they just produce an incredible cup of coffee again regardless of how you do it no that's exactly right you can take the quiz over at freshroastedcoffee.com and in the show notes page right now of this episode hit the link for a discount or enter in the promo code after you've taken the quiz after you've selected the coffee you're going to order enter in the promo code can we please get 20 for 20 percent off your first purchase i'm telling you this coffee is delicious go to freshroastedcoffee.com today
are here to help us break down all of the legal news happening. Senator Menendez, the latest in the Trump indictments, Hunter Biden stuff. I can think of nobody better. I saw him on TV recently, CNN legal analyst, a former deputy assistant attorney general for the Department of Justice and the principal over at the Rabin Group. You got too many jobs, Elliot. Uh, I got a lot of jobs. So it's, you know, because I'm Jamaican. I mean, that's why I just, I just got. Yeah, I love it. Elliot Williams joining us. Elliot, Mike and Nick, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast, taking out some time. No, of course. Great to talk to you. I, I love the work you do. I've listened to your stuff. So yeah, we're here. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, that is going to be a gold star for our editor there, Tim Meehan, to cut that out. Um, Elliot, let me let me start at the top here because, you know, in our last episode, we were talking about the Senator Menendez charges and we kind of teased to the folks out there that you would be coming on the program. It always happens when something uh -oh. breaks. Yeah, we have an attorney that's following up in the next episode. Yeah. I, I'm just curious from your perspective now as Somebody who's worked for the legislative branch, somebody who's worked for the executive branch, you've you've you have so much experience here, and as as an attorney as well, and you see the senator Menendez charges twice in the past eight years, he's been charged with bribery here. What do you make of the latest charges around Senator Menendez, and then the calls for him to resign yeah. and in that process? What what do you make of it all? So it's a few different things. I think okay, uh, I would separate out from the as a former prosecutor, I'd separate out the former charges. He was charged with conduct that the jury ended up hanging on. And I think there's an impulse to sort of lump it all together and say that, well, if someone did something in the past, then necessarily they had to have been doing it now. Not good, not great for an elected official or a senator to be engaged in by any means. But the mere fact that he sort of had a bit of a history of being charged before, I don't want to hold against him, to be perfectly candid. Now, these charges are incredibly serious, both in terms of the evidence that they seem to have against him um, and the nature of, 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 of the conduct where you're talking about potentially at least allegations of trading favors for cash or gold, um, using one's title for personal gain. Uh, it's incredibly serious. Now, even if, and I mean this, even if he's ultimately not convicted of a crime, this is your final question about calls for him to resign. Even if he's not convicted, the allegations themselves are probably serious and substantiated enough that uh, it's not a great position for a United States senator to be in, uh, even having been accused in the way that he has. So I, I am sensitive to these calls for him to step down, but that's up to him and frankly, and his colleagues and the voters of the state of New Jersey, which I used to be, I'm no longer, um, for them to decide as well. Ellie, to that end, you know, on a previous episode, we were looking at some of the data from from GovTrack, you know, which yeah. kind of just tracks down. You're familiar with, it, obviously, in your experience, when you look at, you know, currently what's going on with Senator Menendez in terms of um, the charges that have been brought up and just really how that's being treated as a legal matter. And when we think of other legislative misconduct, do you find that the way those charges are handled, the way those cases are prosecuted, what runs consistent in, as it does in most cases, or mm. are there some extenuating factors that sometimes make these cases harder to harder to really go through the alleged or a legal process? Yeah. I, uh, the case isn't any harder. It's the same statute, regardless of whether you're a senator or Huki from the wrong side of town. Now, when it is a senator, there are added considerations as to what will the publicity around this be, and not unlike. Uh, was it Omar or Stringer Bell on the wire who says you come at the king you best not miss and it's sort of there's a greater pressure on prosecutors to make sure that they get it right if they are going to start uh, indicting 
uh, beloved political figures, then yeah, you got to make sure that you're charged. Now, look, if you're talking about taking somebody's liber liberty away, you always have to make sure that your stuff looks tight. But in to be perfectly candid, prosecutors read the same newspapers you and I do and are well aware of the blowback if they fail or do something unethical or wrong when going after an elected official. And it's happened before. Ted Stevens in Alaska, uh, the former senator, was the best example of a junk indictment that ultimately ended up uh, being thrown out. Now, I was going to say, Elliot, uh, quoting The Wire is going to get you up on our bucket list of uh, return guests all the time, my friend. There you go. We do, it all, we do it all the time here. So just um, not season five because it was trash. Okay. Well, there so we I, go. Well, I can't say it. You know what? You know what? Now that I've now that I've been sort of a little more public and prominent, I don't really like trashing people's work because somebody worked hard on that and people really mean on the internet. But let me say season four was genius, was magical poetry. Season five was went in a slightly different direction. Let me say that. That's uh, it's the, it's the homeless that. person story that does it, right? Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. homeless biting thing, like just yeah. I don't know where they were going. Well, um, I mean, as a former HBO employee that worked in programming, we apologize. So I want to yeah, pivot now to the former president of the United States here. Who, because, wait, which one? Which, which uh, former president? <laughs> former which president Trump. Well, we, oh, oh, sorry. Okay. I just I just wasn't sure. Are we, are no, we talking no, Clinton, right. Nixon or, um, <laughs> you know, Coolidge? Gerald anyway. Ford, Jimmy Carter, certain time, 99 years old. So, we, you know, I just wasn't sure. Just making sure. Great point. You, know, you never know. You is know? Calvin Coolidge still alive? Anyway. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> no, uh, well, he's been so. indicted a couple times. Oh, no, he hasn't, actually. Yeah, he's still so, so let's pit, let's stay on this on this former president here because uh, a lot has happened so far in Georgia. I haven't been following it too closely, but I do know that Scott Hall, the, the former Republican bail bondsman, has been the first of the co-defendants to flip so far. And, and now he's going to start offering testimony against Sidney Powell, Jeffrey Clark. I, I'm curious from your perspective, first off, high level, all of these in indictments across the different jurisdictions and whether or not some of these cases come before November yeah. of 2024, what, what's your read on that? And then can you bring us up to speed in the latest in these Georgia indictments and this of uh, uh, a co-defendant yeah. that was that yeah. flipped now and what this means ultimately. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So in terms of the, all the different jurisdictions, you all, although uh, the two of you clearly are more learned than your average podcast, podcast host, but most people, look at that, right? Most, most human beings uh, do not have their heads around, I think, all the differences in these cases. They're very complicated. And if you were to ask people to try to explain that there is a federal prosecutor bringing federal cases in Washington, D.C. and the federal district in Florida, there is a state prosecutor bringing a state case under the laws of Georgia in Fulton County, Georgia. There's a state prosecutor bringing a local Manhattan district attorney case in New York City and a state attorney general bringing a civil suit on behalf of all of the residents of the state of New York. It's mind blowing. And people sort of lump it all in together. So it's quite confusing. Um, what we're talking about here, at least in the context of this case, is Fulton County, Georgia. Fonnie Willis, the district attorney there, bringing charges against the former president. But it is it is dizzying. And that's frankly a great argument that the Trump people have saying that, well, everybody's coming to get me. It's all one big deep state collusive mess, right? It's not true, but that's the argument. I think it resonates with people because it's so all over the place. Now, Fulton County, I think the significance of um, an individual uh, pleading guilty, you know, I'm not surprised that that's happened. When you have the staggering number of defendants that you have in a case, they're eventually going to start turning on each other. At a certain point, 
whether it's I can't think whether it's crabs in a barrel or uh, I, you know, you got a better metaphor somewhere, but they're they're eventually going to start going up because they have a huge incentive to do so. It's number one if you're talking about the risk of jail uh, or not. Um, most rational individuals would probably choose jail. jail. Number two, the overwhelming majority of crimes plead out, uh, particularly at the federal level, but at the state level too, the, the vast majority. At the federal level, it's 97 or 98%. It's that hot. People plead guilty. And you get a benefit on your sentence by pleading guilty and turning evidence. So all of those reasons lead toward an individual really having a huge incentive to plead guilty um, and start providing testimony. Now he has to be answered truthfully and provide every piece of information that he knows. And if prosecutors aren't convinced that he's being straight with them, then they can revoke the plea deal and and, and take him to trial. Elliot, as we're as we're talking about these upcoming cases, yeah. Um, just a little earlier today, you know, as we're recording, the attorney general was featured on sixty minutes. You know, just mm-hmm. obviously a profile piece, which got me thinking about. You know, where is our recent assessment? It seems like we've had sort of a roller coaster in the way we've assessed the current attorney general as being someone who's not really taken a lot of action, has had a lot of opportunity to take action, still nothing happens. And now we're on the other side of it where you've got a special counsel in Jack Smith that's moving forward. From your just from your stance, where would you yeah. where would you assess this attorney general? Where do you see the relationship between and this comes up for us often on this show about the um the characterization about how the White House may weaponize, you know, the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. But in you, but feel free to just dispel that as it relates to this current administration, but also your assessment of the Attorney General. Well, I, I, I think, uh, well, first of all, who's the we? Uh, when you talk about we've had questions, I mean, if we're talking about the Can We Please Talk podcast or some nebulous we in the country, because it's a fair question, because I think people, there's a there's this notion that there's a universal opinion about either the effectiveness or ineffectiveness uh, of the attorney general. I think, and that's just food for everyone's thought when we think of the we, who's the we, uh, like George W. Bush would say who the them was. But simply, um, what I think people are seeing, regardless of the merits of how Merrick Garland is or isn't doing, is that it it can take a long time to bring cases to trial. And I think, to me, it is completely unsurprising that it took months, if not years, to bring prosecutions. Now, there's certainly the criticism that is made that what the what the Justice Department should have done was just start going to the top of the food chain after January 6th. Uh, and you know what took them so long? Well, well, you saw what took that took them so long. They, you know, they charged a thousand people with crimes and then brought in a special counsel who ended up indicting a president of the United States. Now, to me two years, three years, it's just not that long in the grand scheme of the arc of of bringing federal investigations. Um, But we live in a 24-hour news cycle world. We live in a world of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that, which is to me just incompatible with this world of prosecutors that operate in months, if not years, uh, to, to bring people to justice. Elliot, you know, it's so funny. We mentioned the word special counsel, and I wanted to pivot and weaponization too, another buzzword that's been all across cable news outlets, podcasts, the proverbial, yeah. like you said, um, Hunter Biden, the most popular hunter that uh, uh, to, to note. Um, I'm just curious from your perspective, because the, the federal firearm charges, the plea agreement that fell through 
uh, a few months back. What do you make of the, the investigation, the way it's been handled, the plea agreement and it initially falling through, the legalities behind why that fell through, and now the federal firearm charges that he's facing right now? What do you make of the special counsel's investigation? Yeah. Has, has Merrick Garland really kind of put the line in the sand and say, no, he's overseeing that. He has full authority over that. Well, a couple things. I think on what I find fascinating is the relationship uh, of the special counsel with uh, the attorney general and what people seem to, the shifting goalposts for what people expect or want. Because first it was, well, you need to have a special counsel so that the White House isn't putting the thumb on the scale uh, of, of these investigations. And then the narrative came out that, well, why, what do you mean you're not talking to the White House? Uh, you ought to coordinate with the White House. Something. So I just think this idea of how independent the special counsel is, is it, it, you know, is a significant uh, and fair, you know, or an unfair question that's being asked. Now, with respect to a plea deal falling out, the, the most important thing I can say and will say is that you can, until the man is convicted by a jury, and the judge is about to read him a sentence or, or, or convicted by a jury until a jury returns a verdict, a plea is always possible. And like getting back to my point that I raised a little earlier in the program, um, it's entirely possible that uh, because of how many, the percentage of people that end up pleading guilty, it's entirely possible that he still pleads guilty at some point. Like, you know, you're not obligated to bring a guy to trial just because he's the president's son. So plea deals fall apart all the time. Now, this idea of whether it's a sweetheart deal or whatever, I don't, I just don't know the backstory and I look forward to reading the books about it in 10 years. I think the bigger question that's lingering out there is that the precise gun charge that has been brought against him is, is on shaky constitutional ground. Um, this idea of um, creating a prohibition around the possession of a firearm based on whether you have been a drug user or indicted or so on um, might actually get struck down by the Supreme Court. And it's fascinating that it's the political right in the country that has been angling for that um, and the political left in the country that's actually been coming to the defense of Hunter Biden that's sort of are going to be at cross purposes on this because you're going to what's the Biden administration going to do? Are they going to call for the agree with striking this statute down? Are they going to take a position on it, knowing full well that the president's son is being charged with it? But gradually, that particular charge, which I which I brought as a prosecutor under 18 USC 922, if you want to get all fancy and talk about the numbers. Um, but I think it's days are numbered looking at where the courts are right now. So that'll be really be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, Elliot, before we let you go, you've done a fantastic job today from the wire to mm -hmm. Senator Menendez. You break, you can break it all down. And I had something as I was looking at your profile that I, I mentioned yeah. to you all fair. I want to bring it over here. I yeah. didn't realize you worked for seven years and as, as an assistant director for legislative affairs for ICE, right? for the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. So We've done so much on the border here. Uh, Nick and I are both children of immigrants. Um, I, I'm very, As am I. there we go. And I'm curious from your perspective, uh, President Biden and the handling of the border, the border mm -hmm. reporters that we have talked to down there have said, it doesn't matter what administration is in place right now. Some of the failed policies, and we can kind of drill into that. And I would love yeah. to get yeah, your yeah. expertise on it, but um, no one's really tackled the true root problem, right? And some would point to the triangle nations and the socioeconomic 
issues that they're facing. What do you make of it all from not only the coverage, but the current administration's handling of and the policies that they're administering here uh, at our U.S. southern border? No, I think you're right. I, I, I'm what, it's not a question of right and wrong. It's a there's no answer to the question. And in ter- I think the administration is doing the best they can do with an impossible situation. And I and I do buy and agree with the premise of the question, which is that it's an intractable problem that hasn't been fixed and no one has the, the solution to. Now, you can go back to the 80s and 90s and legislate, like the last time there were meaningful, there was meaningful legislation that made it through Congress. I mean, you're going back decades at this point because Congress can't seem to agree on how to address immigration issues. And in many respects, and this is not to minimize the realities of border crossings or the safety at the border, uh, and so on, but there has not been meaningful action by Congress on this issue in decades, and it's it's become highly politicized. So, I mean, look, there's a whole ass other episode uh, for us to talk. I, I'm not going to do it because uh, that's that's not that, you know not my circus, not my monkeys, as as the as the Polish would say. But um, but there's you know it's it's there's any number of factors that go into the quagmire at the southern border. Um, and I don't think there's, there's a single solution to it. Um, when I worked in Congress, uh, this would have been 2007 and 2008. There was meaningful attempts at getting toward uh, comprehensive reform, but it just, they all sort of fell flat. And I just think it, there isn't, yeah, I wish I had a better answer for you, but there really is not a great solution. And a lot of it is whoever is holding the bag at any point is going to, um, you know, be, be held accountable for it. Now, there's a lot of polling in the last year that people are quite critical of how President Biden is handling the border. Now, whether that is a broader point that there that that is showing criticism that Democrats are not as credible on the border, whether it is showing frustration with Joe Biden, whether it's the economy and people are looking for escape, I mean, whatever it is, but the polling doesn't lie or the polling, uh, the data don't lie right now people trust Republicans more with the border for whatever reason, and maybe because it's been framed as an enforcement issue. Um, when in reality is, you know, you could make an argument that immigration is as much an economic issue as it is a public safety one. Now, there are certainly public safety elements and components to border and interior enforcement. There are, you know, there's no question. It's, um, that doesn't mean we need drones and, you know, uh, uh, lots of drones and tanks at the border. But you might need some, and some. Like, who knows? But there's a, but there are also major economic drivers of immigration as well. Um, and what was most alarming during President Trump's administration was you know, when you start talking about closing major ports of entry like the San Diego border. You are talking about hundreds of millions of dollars to the United States being lost a day. Um, you're talking about millions of people who cross to work in both countries legally as well, who wouldn't be allowed to do so. So these ideas of sort of an all enforcement approach, while it resonates with the public, particularly with crime rates up in the country, um, simply are just not, uh, you know, it, it cannot be an enforcement only solution. You have to think of what, what some of the economic realities are, some of the, the humanitarian realities and so on. So, um, you know, I gave you like a seven minute answer there. Um, when you probably wanted me to say, yeah, Joe Biden's doing great. Um, but it's, you know, but, but, you know, I look, I, I will tell you when I was there at ICE, uh, there was no winning. 
because for the quick anecdote, for the first two years when we were there, um, it was a Democratic-controlled Congress. And a lot of the fire coming toward the Department of Homeland Security, uh, the, the, you know, ICE is in the Department of Homeland Security, a lot of the fire came from the political left in Congress. Um, then it switched uh, in 2010, uh, 2011, really, when Republicans took control of Congress. And then it just became a free-for-all and open season, and uh, the congressional oversight and the subpoenas started coming in from the right. Um, so whoever was in power was incredibly critical of the apparatus, uh, because with Democrats, it was, you are, you are, you are overly enforcing, you're kicking down the doors of meatpacking plants, how dare you, uh, people who... Uh, are Obama's core supporters, you're turning your backs on them. And then the moment Republicans came in, it was amnesty, amnesty, amnesty. You've granted amnesty to all these millions of people. It's open borders and lawlessness and people are running across the border with TVs and like these nine foot tall, like giant, you know, uh, hu humanoid, non-human people are walking through the forest and they're terrorizing us. It just, so you know, I'm not giving a wishy-washy middle-of-the-road centrist answer on immigration, but it's just there really is an intractable problem that the current Congress, at least as it's situated, is not in a position to fix. Elliot, there is no such thing as a short or long answer on a podcast format. That's why we have you. I know, on. right? Because yeah, you can cover so much ground across all of these issues. You can catch Elliot all the time on CNN. He's a former deputy assistant attorney general, and he's obviously a principal over at the Rabin Group. Elliot, I can't thank you enough for hopping on the podcast with us. Continued success to you, my friend. Please stay thank safe. Thank you. Yeah, stay safe. And then we, you know, we got to just talk more wire. You know, it's just sort of, I'm trying to think of another quick McNulty reference, but now, now I'm on the spot. I got nothing. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Nerd Focus. New energy drink sponsor on the show. Nick, let me ask you a quick question. Do you lack focus and concentration, motivation? Do you need something to boost your stamina and strength? I do. You know, coffee coffee isn't enough, so I'm always looking for other options. Well, I got something for you, Nick, that's going to boost your stamina and strength. It's going to enhance your focus and concentration. We're going to ramp up your motivation. We're going to provide alertness and stimulation. We're going to even improve your mood, Nick, which a lot of people on this, on the comments are going to be happy with. I got the original Think Drink infused with powerful nootropics, performance boosting nutrients click the link in our show notes right now to get a special offer on nerd focus beverages for being a can we please talk listener nerd focus there's a nerd in everyone all right our thank yous there to elliot williams like i mentioned cnn legal analyst former deputy assistant attorney general for the department of justice assistant director for legislative affairs for the Immigration Custom Enforcement Agency, better known as ICE. He's a principal at the Rabin Group. He's a CNN legal analyst, like I mentioned. This guy has, he has way too many jobs, first off, four jobs, but he, he mentioned it there, he's, he's Jamaican. So um, great stuff, by the way. I, there was so much that we could cover with Elliot, given how much experience and years working in government, legislative and executive branches, like I mentioned, that, he can really break down, as you heard, not only from a prosecutor's lens and the legalities behind things, but like even the border answer, you know, he felt it was ramble. It's not ramble. It's you. You can't do that on a four minute panel segment for CNN. Like You just can't do that. And so I'm glad that he was able to kind of express a little bit more from an administrative lens, some of the challenges and hurdles when he was working there 
as Congress shifts over from a Democratic House to a Republican House and Speaker Boehner took over in 2011, like he was alluding there, would you make of the interview and also some of the time we forgot to ask him about Tupac, Nick? I know you got a bunch of thoughts on Tupac's murder being arrested, but would you make of our interview there with Elliot? Yeah, huge miss by me not to not to dive further into it, you know, 30 years removed from the uh, from the, the shooting. Yeah, I think it, it reminds me of one of the things I enjoy about this show is that we we don't provide easy answers sometimes. You know, some of these things that we talk about, it, it's not a solution. There's not an easy solution to arrive at. But what all you can really do is understand the nuance going, you know, going on and then deal with it accordingly as a voter, as an informed citizen. And that's what we like to do here. Can we please talk um, like our other legal analysts on? I thought Elliot you know, did a great job just sort of taking us through the landscape of what's going on with the president. But then also, you know, as we talked about at the end, you know, his experience with ICE, I, I appreciate the fact that regardless of your political persuasion, you know, be it Democrats running the House or, or Congress or Republicans, neither side is satisfied <laughs> with the way our immigration policy works. And so regardless of where, you know, our listeners are on the political spectrum, where you are, where I, where I am, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is a very difficult situation. It's always been a challenging situation for a long, long time. And all you can really do is study the problem and, and try to work towards some level of agreement. We just, you know, obviously we're just coming out of a, a last second, you know, tentative agreement to try to save, you know, the government, you know, from shutting down now try to go ahead and throw that, you know, throw immigration into this conversation. And it's just, it's a mess, but no, I thought Ellie did a great job just explaining where, where we are with the various cases and also demystifying. Again, this is a person you know, who's worked, you know, in these places. So when he says that, you know, what you're all seeing is on the up and up and there's some, you know, there are some things to consider when we're talking about senators or members of Congress who are in, in legal trouble, you know, comes from a place of understanding that the process is the process. I like what he said about the statute is the statute. It doesn't matter if it's you, me, or Senator Menendez, the prosecution goes accordingly. Yeah. I also thought what he said about, forget about the previous charges. I know people are going to stack that up, but forget about those because a jury was hung on that. Uh, these charges right now. Yeah. It looks serious on paper. So shout out to Elliot Williams for breaking that all down. If you want to watch the video portion of our interview with Elliot, head over to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast, hit the subscribe button for me while you're there. Audio podcast platforms you know by now, but if you don't, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody listens to us on Good Pods. We are live on YouTube Music. Download the YouTube Music app, type in Can We Please Talk, hit the follow button for me there. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. We can't do it without each and every one of you that listens into this program each and every week. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see you next time. Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 